is our third book discussion. And uh, welcome to Jeffrey Reza. It's unusual to see you here both. It's been a while. It's great to see you both. And uh, this is a uh, comparison to previous meetings, a relatively smaller group uh, for different reasons. Uh, some are away. Some are not feeling well, and some are not are simply just not here. <laughs> <laughs> so I made a vote uh, a taste for that soon. Once in a while, we need uh, specific words for that. So I'll find the words. So we are on page. Which page on the whole 39, the whole copy. It's actually it gets very tricky to find uh, uh, to point to the right page on the e-readers because e-readers vary. And the other thing I found out is when you change the orientation of the e-reader, the page number changes too. So the whole thing is quite pointless. You think you got the right page, then you change the orientation, all of a sudden it's totally different. So. I, I don't think I can help by putting the right page on the e-reader, but maybe you can just follow and tell us where it is on the hard copy. Mm -hmm. We have some coordinates. Okay, so we are starting with uh, people who see that their mind is the Buddha, don't need to shave their heads. Laymen are Buddhas too. Unless they see their nature, people who shave their heads are simply fanatics. And but since married laymen don't give up sex, how can they become Buddhas? So the question is not just about sex here, obviously. The question is about giving up, is about avoidance, is about if I don't do something, then by the mere fact that I'm not doing it, I, I may think that that will help me achieve something or a different state, right? So what he's saying is that that by itself is, is questionable, right? We have to look at that. So to shave your head or to avoid something by itself is not going to do anything. And then he says, I only talk about seeing your nature. I don't talk about, I don't talk about sex simply because you don't see your nature. <coughs> Once you see your nature, sex is basically immaterial. It ends along with your delight in it. Even if some habits remain, they can't harm you. Because your nature is essentially pure. Despite dwelling in material body of four elements, your nature is basically pure. It can't be corrupted. Your real body is basically pure. It cannot be corrupted. Your real body has no sensation, no hunger, no thirst, no warmth, no cold, no sickness, no love or attachment, no pleasure or pain, no good or bad, no shortness or length, no weakness or strength. Actually, there is nothing here. It's only because you cling to this material body that things like hunger and thirst, warmth and cold and sickness appear. <coughs> so I'd like to spend a little time, a few minutes maybe. Should I turn the light on? Turn the light on. Uh, on that, and uh, especially on, on what he says here, 
once you see your nature, sex is basically material. Again, it's not just a no, that's not limited to sex. Once you see nature, sex is basically immaterial, it ends along with your delight in it. So that line, it ends along with your delight in it. Actually, it ends as you engage. If we engage in the right way, from the right place. Which means to not create a story out of it, to not create a self out of it, and not, to not create and perpetuate home. Right? And to not feed the three poisons. So, this has more to do with the how than with the what. The what is immaterial, as he said. It's the how that we have to look at. So, any thoughts? You want to go first? <laughs> you smile first, so... <laughs> Sounds good. That's the mind you bring to whatever it is that you're, <coughs> that you're engaged in. Um, we were doing yoga yesterday, but the teacher was saying, um, to take our monkey mind and to um, have it run up and down a tree, picking bananas at the top and the bottom. And after a few minutes, my monkey just stopped. Um, got tired of running up the tree. And um, it was sort of um, a habit. Um, I like I was thinking for a while, what are these bananas all about? And then I just thought, the monkey doesn't have to keep running around. Um, so, uh -huh. so the bananas, you equate the bananas to sex in this case. That would be <laughs> well, it does have some okay. comparison or, or to Or to something we long for, something we want, something we desire. Right. Something we need, we think we need. We think we need. Well, I mean, it, the need is there. We cannot deny the need. To go against the need is, is, as he says here, is not necessarily the answer. There is such a thing as a, as a, as a physical body need, right? We cannot uh, ignore that. Okay, but it's how we use it. You know, it's also in our vows, in our precepts. Right? We, we talk about to use, to understand this energy, right? To understand the energy and to use it in the correct way. Actually, Buddha talked about uh, using everything for what it was meant to be used, and not for anything else. Maybe the word "use" is not. I think we may have to look at that. You know, not to use it, but to engage in it. Maybe that's better. To engage in, in everything for for the way it was, or in the way it was meant to be used, not for anything else. Not to look for anything else other than to express physical uh, existence. Right, to express the physical existence, and then, but not to, uh, you know, maybe use it to uh, show power over another person or for other reasons, right? Actually, that's something, again, maybe we can devote attention to this uh, in light of what's been happening these days with what is being exposed, uh, men using and abusing that. Right, but, uh, yeah, so how we use it? You want to say something? Non-clinging. 
not clinging to it as an identity or part of your identity. Right. He, he talks about it. it's only because you cling to this material body that things like hunger, thirst, warmth, and cold and sickness appear. But can we deny that we feel this way? Does that mean we deny that the body feels hunger and then we have to feed it? You wanna? No, we can't. Okay. Deny that. You can say more. <laughs> no, I mean because because we are in physical form, we have to. It's like what you were saying, where you know if if you didn't have any kind of hunger or desire or um, for for. It's you know sexual desire. If you didn't have hunger, if you didn't have thirst physically, you wouldn't survive because you wouldn't drink and you wouldn't eat and you wouldn't procreate. You know, so it's kind of like what you were saying about that is that um, you do need it, but you don't need to identify with it and, and make it a compulsion. I think also it's take what you need. You need take just take just what you need and no more. And do not, do, do not um, be greedy about what it is that you are using or taking or whatever. You know, just just what you need. That goes with everything, with, uh, with money, with greed, with sex, with whatever, whatever it's needed. And, and don't exploit uh, anything. You know, don't exploit it. You know, use it for what, the purpose that was intended. I think a lot of times we fall into it because the poisons, as you say, come anywhere. You know, you become greedy about uh, possessing a person, or possessing their love. You know, you're attracted to someone that may not be attracted to you. You know, um, food, of, you know, excessiveness in food, excessiveness in the wanting, um, the, you know, uh, more than what you necessarily need. So we have a lot of things sometimes that, yeah, that we, things that we need, obviously, to survive, to live. But there's a lot of things that we have in our possession that we don't need. They're just there for our pleasure. Think about bulimia, for example. Yeah. Right? Think about that. You know, and actually you can take that and apply it to everything else that we do. We all do, right? We do it not for that. You know, we don't eat. People that, that experience bulimia and difficult with that do not eat to satisfy physical hunger or to take care of the body. <coughs> they eat to satisfy something else, but that thing cannot be satisfied by physical food. That's why they have to vomit and keep eating, thinking that maybe it will at some point, but then it becomes, of course, compulsive, right? Mm -hmm. But that's an example for us to see what happens when we use something not for what it is meant to be used for. Right? You know, the food is important, obviously, but what he's talking about is the attachment. In this case, there is attachment to wanting something that this cannot provide or not meant to provide. Sure. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I mean, I think the how is a way of putting it. I was thinking that another way of putting it is why. Mm -hmm. Why you're doing stuff you're doing. Yeah. Um, we always, I mean, like, we engage in a lot of things that we have uh, an additional agenda for it. We're not doing it for just, I mean, for instance, um, eating is one of the things that you're typically doing not only because you're satisfying your hunger, but also because you're, maybe you think it's necessary for the socializing, maybe you think it's necessary for feeling better, maybe you think it's, a, so, so there's a lot of additional topics on the why you're engaging in that activity. Um, that, I mean, 
it's, it's not that how is it another way of putting it. I just wanted to see if why helps open it up sometimes because sometimes it's about that. why I'm doing this, you know, why, why I want to do this. Do you remember Yunmen's why? Do you remember Yunmen's when you know he asked these monks, why do you put on the robes at the side of the bell? Right? But he did not want them to explain. The why, the why is very important, but in this case the why is pointing at nothingness. It's not pointing at that tell me why you're doing it. Right? You know, so it's not come up with a good reason, a good explanation to explain why you're doing it. Right? The why is pointed to nothingness, not to something. And if we do it from there and go back to there, then we're not expecting something that is, we're not expecting something that will not come out of the activity. Mm -hmm. Right? No so then we're free, we are free to engage in the activity without putting extra baggage or extra weight on it and expecting something that will never come. Of course, that leads to disappointments, right? And then trying harder, <coughs> like the bigger hammer school, right? Well, maybe I'm not trying hard enough, but it's not the right thing, or the right person, or the right activity, or the right food for them. I wanted yeah. to look at it from the precept uh, do not harm yeah. and uh, it applies to self and others mm -hmm. both and uh, when we engage in something like that and if it's not, it's exceeded the needs <coughs> what we really need then some kind of harm happen or to self mm -hmm. if you overeat or to other people mm -hmm. and if you look from that perspective I think that will bring more clarity. Yeah. Because, yes. Um, you can also go the other way um, and uh, suppress wanting and uh, think that you don't want anything, um, mm -hmm. but it isn't true. <coughs> um, yeah. That's something I can do. Um, uh, and uh, then there's kind of a um, barrenness and a dryness and uh, it's not the solution, that's something, and you hoped it would be. Mm -hmm. Right, so, so and this is very important, right? This is back to what we were saying. It's you know, still that, attachment. Right, and but, but he, what's what he said, you know, avoiding something or, you know, completely is not the solution, mm -hmm. right? So neither one is, mm -hmm. you know, so if you want to avoid, fine, avoid, but do it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. And then, if you, you know, if you engage in activities, fine, engage in activities, but do it for the right reason, from the right place. Mm -hmm. Do it from, and that's what he said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there means there's nothing there. Right? Your real body has no sensation. What is the real body then? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, he talks about that in understanding the mind. If you don't understand your mind, you don't understand anything. So, what is your real body? Where is your real body? Other than that which experiences warmth, cold, uh, desire, hunger. What is the real body? Where is the real body there? Anybody? It's right here. It's, it's here. It's here. It's right it's here. here. <coughs> we, have, we have it here. It's, a, it's our essential nature to have all these feelings or ideas. And, but, uh, <coughs> but, uh, <coughs> 
but harming ourselves and doing things in harm is n not normal for us. <coughs> and uh, I think, that I, I, you know, a lot of times I think of things and, uh, and I think of good things, but then if I do something and then I realize, oh man, you know, that was foolish or, you know, why'd you do that, you know? I think what happens is, <clears throat> You know, I'll kind of punish myself in a way. And I think that's where the emptiness comes in. It's like, you know, <clears throat> we're in life, right? You have to relate, but you don't have to punish. Right. And to punish or to glorify, right? It doesn't really matter. Come from creating, and it, it helps you sustain and create a separate existence, a separate self. Mm -hmm. Right, which moves you away from realization of nothingness, right? And it, and it narrows things down. But if you don't create anything out of feeling the desire or feeling satisfied and when wanting more, right? All that process, mm -hmm. you don't create anything out of that, mm -hmm. then you're free. <clears throat> then you're free and then all it is is just an expression of that which is not seen and not heard. Through that which is seen and that which is heard. But that which is expressing itself yeah. is beyond the expression. Yes, it's like being real. Being, being real. real. Yes. And not making anything else up. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. seeing things as it is, for what it is. But what is it? It could be <laughs> different for you, different for him. Well, one has many kinds. That's, that's exactly what it is. One has many kinds. Yeah. Right? Since I'm third patriarch, right? Trust in my one has many kinds, two have no duality. That's what it is. There's no problem with experiencing different things. Mm. But once we make something out of it, mm. we get trapped in what we make. Yeah. And I was thinking of this in relation to um, to Aikido uh, last night when I was reading this, um, and I realized how much I was clinging to comfort um, in Aikido, you know, I, I find myself looking at the clock a lot when I, when I train, and it's, it's usually because I, I'm waiting for the next moment of pain, um, and, and, you know, the resistance is part of it, right, because, and, and frankly, you know, I'm other people who train know that, you know, there, it, when you resist, there's pain, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I end up resisting, mm -hmm. and I have pain. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm finding myself clinging to comfort. And, and then I thought, well, what is comfort? And what is pain? Mm -hmm. Pain is just a sensation, right? It's a, it's a body sensation. And if I identify with comfort, then I'm resisting pain, and I'm resisting an IQ. So I'm kind of harming myself that way in not going with the flow in Aikido and, and realizing that pain is just a sensation. It just is what it is. It rises, it falls, it rises, it falls. You know, whatever intensity it rises and falls in, it's it's just there. And I realized, you know, I was I was really clinging to just being comfortable and not not, not experiencing it, being slammed into the mat, you know. Um, I know in the Aikikai they do that more often, um, right? But um, here, um, I kind of I'm admitting everything now. I kind of veer towards partners who are, um, you know, not black belts. 
anymore, you know. Um, so just realizing that, that that comfort was something that was I was identifying with is was actually pretty profound for me. So, so this so brings, brings up the question of who. Yeah, the question oh, of exactly. Who. What is pain? If what we ask who is, mm -hmm. and we leave that question open, mm -hmm. that leads to freedom. But if we ask who, and we say, of course I know who, that narrows it down, that closes everything right away, right? So to ask the question is essential, and to leave it be is also essential. Doesn't mean not to ask, but doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we have to answer it right away. We have to ask and then let it be, and then it will it will be verified. We actually get verified over and over again if we practice the correct way. And then the answer comes, and the answer comes not in the form we expect it to come, but it does. Or the answers. Talking about the Aikido experience, um, it's interesting how the unseen happens too, which is like a, uh, it relates to what uh, Sigeko was saying, which is, uh, you know, when you're trying to rear comfort on, and then when you're actually stressed out about the, you know, your partner being way too much for what you can handle, mm -hmm. uh, not saying anything is also the same thing. It's coming from mm -hmm. the same place. Mm -hmm. Coming from the place of I can I, I mean I need to stick with this. Oh I need to <coughs> I need to feel it, I can yeah. I need to stick with this. Yeah. And it comes from the same place. It's like uh, so it's like the pain is way too much, why do you say it? Not admitting like, that you yeah. are in pain. So or, or you're super tired or you mm -hmm. cannot you know like and, and, and that uh, that helped me, I mean, talking about my personal IQ experience, um, at the beginning, I was more concerned about you know keeping up with certain things, and then I mean after a certain time, I, when I keep up, I keep up. When I cannot, it's just I'm sorry. I, tell, I mean, tell people it's like I'm sorry. You need to or even change partners or give me five minutes because you know mm -hmm. uh, I cannot keep up. And uh, and I think you know you know that that gives me a lot of freedom because I'm not stressing out about you know whatever counts. You know when I'm tired, I'm tired. When I'm not tired, I'm top tired. You know, like, then it gives you more freedom about. Because I find that when I do that, and I hear what you're saying, and I agree, when I find when I do that, I'll just I'll just go all the way over to the other side. No, I need to be comfortable. And even if I say something to somebody, I change partners. I, I that pain just that pain just bothers me. Well, so you know? let's let's let's. I'm so completely identified this, and comfortable. Let's keep this in, in relation to practice, in relation to what we're trying to do. You can you can move this. Uh, in relation to what we're trying to do, or we're trying to uh, realize and work with, in, in terms of practice, in terms of avoiding, right? Because obviously this is part, this was part of practice. In some places, it is part of practice to avoid sexual activities, right, or to shed heads, or to wear robes, or whatever. You know, whatever it is we do, we have to understand that it is not. We have to understand how to use it, right? You know, to put robes on or to shave the head is not. A vehicle, it's a manifestation. Right? It's not that you put you shave your head and put robes on, all of a sudden, you know, you you glow. But we have that expectation. And I think we do it often as practitioners, also as people looking at practitioners, we, we do that. Right? And uh, 
And that uh, raises a lot of misconceptions about the practice. So for us as practitioners, we have to we have to understand that as long as we practice correctly, then we are helping maybe correct some misconceptions. If we don't practice correctly, then we help raise and, and maybe strengthen misconceptions about practice, about what Buddhist practice really is all about. So he says, once you stop clinging and let things be, you'll be free to let things be. So to let things be means to let how you feel, the hunger or the satisfaction after eating, right? Let it be. And that means don't add anything to it. Also, let it be means to burn up completely, to leave no trace. Leave nothing behind. Let it be. And then when we let it be, then who is perpetuating a story? How do we create a story? Right? We don't. We let it be. And then you'll be free even of birth and death. You'll transform, transform everything. You'll possess spiritual powers that can be obstructed and you'll be at peace wherever you are. If you doubt this, you'll never see through everything. You're better off doing nothing. Right? Once you act, you can't avoid the cycle of birth and death. Now, once you act, you, but once you see your nature, you're a Buddha, even if you work as a butcher, which obviously relates to uh, the precepts, right, and, and how things were practiced, used to be practiced before that. So, to avoid killing, but how is that possible? But that's where the question comes up, right there. But butchers create karma by slaughtering animals. How can they be Buddhas? And then he says again, I only talk about seeing your nature. I don't talk about creating karma. Regardless of what we do, our karma has no hold on us. Through endless kalpas without beginning, it's only because people don't see their true nature, the nature, that they end up in hell. As long as a person creates karma, he keeps passing through birth and death. But once a person realizes his original nature, he stops creating karma. So, what does that mean? How can we engage in, for example, slaughtering animals and be free at the same time? If somebody works as a butcher, right? that's the question. Well, you, you, uh, <clears throat> it depends on your purpose. You know, you're going to feed mass of people, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You're doing it as, you know, benefit for, for other people. You know, it's like a sacrifice. So is this, do we see this as, well, as permission to, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, I can, if I had feelings about wanting to protect animals, then yeah. I can let go of those feelings and nothing matters? That's, that's really what we have to, this is a very fine line, and we have to know how to work with it. Because uh, we can see that as permission to do anything, right? Nothing matters, because once I see my true nature, nothing matters. But what does it mean to see my true nature? And if I do see my true nature, what kind of actions is that going to lead to? That's karma. That's karma. No, no, what kind, of, what kind of action? How will I act? You see, the precepts, and you know that, you, you've heard this before, the precepts are basically a way, 
a path, right, a way uh, an enlightened person would lead, right, would, would act, would function in the world. So by acting this way, see, to act this way from being realized mm -hmm. is to be free. To act this way without realization can be a trap. Yeah. Can be a trap. I'm not saying it is a trap, but it can be a trap because we have, we can uphold the precepts, and then we can become very self-righteous about it and create more by upholding by thinking we are upholding precepts. And it is a fine line. Yeah. Some, um, there's no good karma, and then this notion of karma that we are discussing, just as <coughs> whatever you do is beyond your accumulation of karma, so to think that you're accumulating good karma, so that to be the butcher, um, you would think that you were um, doing something um, fantastic and great because you were being a butcher. Um, you would just be doing what you um, thought you should be doing at that moment, um, and not um, not putting the meaning of that moment into some other moment or time or other value system. So that if you happen to be a butcher, you come from a family of butchers, however you happen to be there, um, you would do it, but you wouldn't glorify being a butcher or, or make excuses for being a butcher or um, make other sorts of connections which I think in a larger picture would actually, um, I mean in the long run I think being a butcher is probably not the best thing to be. Um, yeah, if you, right, so, so it's a choice you can make, absolutely it's a choice you can make, decide that I don't want to do this anymore and not do it anymore, which is fine. Right? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about um, a new model, Pajang, right? So how do you, uh, is a person, is a light person free of causation, of karma? And then the answer was, a light person is not, does not ignore causation. So to not ignore causation and yet to be free in the midst of causation, that's what he's talking about. But what he's saying is that only if we see our true nature, we can be free in the midst of causation, or causality. Right, so we're not attaching to anything. We're not holding on to anything. So not attaching being a butcher. Right. Or yeah. not being a butcher. Right? Or, or I'm the one who's not killing animals. Look at me. Mm. Right? You know, I'm better than you because you kill animals or whatever. Right? right? So, so to become self-righteous. To become self-righteous is to create a self. Self-righteous is the, one, of the, right, one of the horrors of our existence. Actually, the Buddha talked about it quite often from what I understand, from what we read, that, you know, because he knew, and he warned people against that. You know, you, don't, you may feel good about what you do, and then that by itself may create more bad, in a way, right? It, it may lead you to actions that will create, that are actually going to feed the three poisons. Thinking that you are free of the three poisons, you may perpetuate the three poisons. At the same time, let's say, you know, it's me, the butcher, and the way I feel, but what happens if everybody is a butcher? Mm -hmm. How do you balance that? Or it doesn't matter? Uh, the question is not that what happens if. That if is actually irrelevant because he's talking about seeing true nature. And from seeing true nature, 
all those so Eve's. We all can see the true nature, but we, all of us, we have a job, and the job is we are butchers mm -hmm. in the street, huh? so some people don't realize <coughs> that. Well, you make know, our, our novelists about to save them, right? So one at a time. Yeah, I mean, we do work with, with an understanding, with the understanding it's that there's a lot, of, there are many people who are trapped and will be trapped. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because even if you're the only one who is practicing and seeing true nature, what, what, what if they don't know that they're being trapped and they're just doing it? They don't know. It's not what if. They don't know. They don't know. We we don't know. So if they don't know, <laughs> if they don't know, how can they bring karma on them? How can they bring? Back? How can they bring bad karma on them? Just because if you don't by know. not knowing, by not seeing true nature, by not practicing. We don't know. Blind. Okay. Let's just let's just be clear on that. Blindness is blindness. Mm -hmm. To be blind is to be blind. Mm -hmm. So you don't see. And when you don't see, you're going to bump into things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you say, well, no, I don't want to bump into it, but I don't see. So how can I, I don't even have a choice in a way, right? If, I'm, if, if my eyes are closed, I don't see. Mm -hmm. So I bump mm -hmm. into you, you get upset, but yeah. and then you think I did something to you, and, mm -hmm. but I didn't see you. Yeah. I stepped on your foot and I didn't see you. Yeah. Right? So can you fault me? for that. Can you blame me for stepping on your foot? No. No. So, so we have to see, this is a little simplified, but we have to see harm, or people causing harm in this way. Because to be blind is to be blind. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we should avoid uh, dealing or working with it or ignoring it, we just have to put it in perspective and understand that not seeing is not seeing. But the point again is to see true nature. And this is, the, this is what he's saying. Um, in India, the 27 patriarchs before him, before Bodhidharma, only transmitted the imprint of the mind. And the only reason I've come to China is to transmit the instantaneous teaching of the Mahayana. This mind is the Buddha. And that's it. And it, it sums it up. This is it. This mind is Buddha. Yeah, actually, that's all he said, that's all he taught. And that's the foundation of Zen. I don't talk about precepts, I don't talk about devotions, ascetic practices such as immersing yourself in water or fire, trading the wheel of knives, eating one meal a day. Now, eating one meal a day, you, you remember that because we talked about, I think I, I talked about a story I heard about Mazumi Roshi driving to a some event with someone and there, there was a Theravada monk with him in the back seat and they were rushing to get to the ceremony and it was getting close to midday, right? And the guy only is allowed to eat one meal a day and after midday, that's it. Gotta wait till next morning, next day. So, so the guy was getting antsy and he said, we should stop, we should stop, and they couldn't stop. And then Mazumi Roshi turned to him and said, well, stop being so precious. And, and stop being so precious here, actually, is very fitting because it means, so what if you eat later today? What's going to happen? And that is becoming rigid about practice, which is not, the practice itself is about wide open. Yet we take that which is wide open and we become very rigid about it. And that is creating a self. And that's to take 
medicine and use it as policy. So again, that's why I'm saying I don't talk about restrictions. I don't talk about you know, eating one meal a day or never lying down. Right? These are fanatical, provisional teachings. Once you recognize you're moving miraculously aware of nature, yours is the mind of all Buddhas. Buddhas of the past and future only talk about transmitting the mind. They teach nothing else. If someone understands this teaching, even if he's illiterate, he's a Buddha. So, because it's beyond reading, it's beyond scriptures, it's beyond bowing, it's beyond lighting incense. Yet, in bowing and lighting incense, it is manifested. So, what about, what about a child? Do you think a child has a Buddha nature? There's a con about that. <laughs> There's a con about that, actually. Um, you know, you know uh, what we're talking about, what he's talking about, is beyond birth and death. Yeah. Right. So beyond, before a child is born mm -hmm. and throughout the life and after the child, after the person dies. Yeah. It's constant. So how could it not be? Even the blind is a Buddha. The blind. There's no, there's no situation there. There's no, there are no distinctions. The fact that when we're blind, we bump into things, mm -hmm. uh, points more at the way we act, the way we interact, right? So we suffer. But even suffering is it. There are no distinctions. Um, there seems to be huge danger <coughs> in a, a way of thinking that says, if I can understand my original nature, then I can just be, and then I can just do, right? And um, I think from the outside, looking at, at people who seem to be realized, it, it seems to be a life of restraint and restriction, that, that there are things that... To, to, to an onlooker, right? To somebody To who's... somebody looking from the outside, yes. looking, right? Um, so that the freedom of the person who has realized themselves um, seems to be very different from the freedom of somebody who hasn't realized themselves. And when you yeah. talk to people who have not realized <coughs> and suggest that this freedom is available, it can suggest and in fact become very problematic, <coughs> ugly, horrible, uh, the Japanese in World War II, mm -hmm. uh, the populist movement in the United States at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of examples of this. If we can only understand our original whatever, um, we are then empowered to act according to whatever that thing is. Um, so that seems to just be kind of sitting around this whole discussion as a, uh, a problem. This is why this is you know uh, we are encouraged to let go of, the, of, 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 of sutras, of reading, of thinking that we understand or conceptually understanding that and then diving into practice. So to be verified through and through by practice, right? That's the well, message what sort of that, that put, What sort of restraint does that put on people who believe that they're realized? 
people who really want. That they are realized. Um, I mean, it seems that you need something more than individual practice, whether it's community, and whether it's Sangha that puts the break, whether... Well, here's, here's the thing, you know, uh, realization, and realization is a, you know, it's, it's a verb, right? I mean, it's not like, I got it and I'm good to go. I mean, you know, fine. You know, and Dogen would say, okay, get new sandals and keep going. You want these pair of sandals? Well, it's time to get new pair, right? And the more we practice, and I think this is actually maybe to answer that, the more we practice, I think the more we need to practice. And the less we practice, the less we think we need to practice. <laughs> But uh, so this right, and again, point. It's that inside sense that once you're doing it, you realize that. But from the outside, yes, right. That's mm -hmm. misconception, misunderstanding, and this is why we have to. We have a responsibility to to practice correctly and to share it correctly. By and and realization leads to the deeper the realization, the deeper the giving. It's as simple as that, and the giving is not giving a thing, it's giving the self. That's what it leads to. And in that, there's no creation. Nobody's creating anything about anything else. And this is what we have to teach as practitioners in our lives. And it's a challenge because we don't feel like getting up in the morning. <laughs> um, but, uh, but getting up in the morning can be by itself, getting up early in the morning, and showing up can be a gift, can be offered to the world. See, discipline can be offered to the world as well. Right? So to not listen to the one who says, oh, I need, you know, I'm going to hit the snooze button because I need some more sleep today. No, get up, go. Do something, help someone. And that, that is the practice, you know, and the more we do it, the easier it becomes. So no lingering. Because you need more story. Right, because that's how the story is perpetuated. Right, I'm going to hit the snooze button. And then sometimes it's exactly what we need to do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't sleep in once in a while to, to recover if we need to. But honesty, you know, maybe that's one of the more challenging aspects of practice, you know, to be honest with ourselves about why am I not getting up now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is the, um, the thing that uh, was pretty difficult for me on, on the practice was to understand that you know, it's basically always about maintaining the balance. And it's hard because I mean, you, you don't know what the balance is. And so, like I said, sometimes it's like, sometimes you need to hit business with them, sometimes yeah. you don't. And how do you distinguish those times? And, and that is it's very subtle. I mean, at the beginning, it's probably you can see kind of a bigger uh, motivation that you can let go of, but then it gets subtle and subtle. And then that's where you need more practice. And it's about, you know, maintaining the balance as uh, I was like this uh, saying from Aikido where, you know, like uh, uh, Sensei, which is the founder was, uh, if somebody asked him, well, how do you maintain all your time, your balance? And he said like, no, I'm losing it all the time. It's just regaining it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems to be that way, that's the kind of a midway, the Mahayana. And, and, and so we need to acknowledge that it's tough. So we don't know. Sometimes you don't know why, I mean, if you need that day to hit the snooze button or not. Um, 
just go with that. It will get better as you keep practicing being honest about yourself. I, I like that. I mean, like I, the honesty is about it. It's, yeah. it's why? I mean, and if the why pops up very clearly, like okay, it's just because you're trying to slack today. Yeah. Oh, then we go. You know, okay. it, the other why is like I'm right, really feeling bad. Okay, then stay. What was that um, one of the teachers, I don't remember his name, but that said that um, you do not become enlightened in, in a, on a comfy bed, you know, warm pillowed up bed or whatever, mm -hmm. or with a full belly yeah. that you, you, know, you have to um, be uncomfortable, yeah. you know, you have to, you know, suffer sometimes in order for you to grow spiritually, you know, to be enlightened. Sometimes you have to go through that. and. Um, yeah, we want to be comfortable, you know. I love my bed, it's very comfortable, it's very cozy, and, you know, it's very difficult. For me, it, it's, it's, for some people I look at, I was like, I, I envy the fact that they can just jump out of bed without an alarm clock. Me, I have to hit the snooze button. But you can be comfortable waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning. You can. You, you can. Well, you know, a big part of practice obviously is to learn to be to, learn. to be comfortable in the midst of discomfort, right? Because if we can't, we have a big problem. Because we're going to be uncomfortable, whether we want it or not. Because it's not up to us, it's not a choice. So, so what if we're uncomfortable? As long as we're busy. But this is why, you know, the Dharma Sun, this is why the three treasures are there, you know, that to be accountable, to be a part of a Sangha. Because it's so difficult to be a part of a sangha, to have somebody who we can go and talk with, right? You know, and then actually, what uh, Yama talked about, that it's the necessity of having a teacher, right? Who will not let you slack off, who will tell you the truth. You know, and, and, and those things are very important because we have to raise that, we have to bring it up, that fire, to get up, to go, to do it, to practice, we have to really want to practice. Want to wake up? So he says the Buddha is your real body, your original mind. This mind has no form or characteristics, no cause or effect, no tendons or bones. It's like space. It can't. You can't hold it. It's not the mind of materialistic, materialistic or nihilist, materialist or nihilist, except for the Tathagata. No one else, no mortal, no deluded beings, can fathom it. So it's not, that is what's moving. Essentially, that is what's moving, right? It's the mind that is moving. So how do we understand the mind moving? How do we understand seeing your own mind? Because that's, to sum up the, the teachings of Bodhidharma, this is what he's, that's all he's doing, that's what he did. Pointed directly at the mind. Here it is. Sit down, shut up, look. <laughs> you get it. That's all. It's not, it's not confined. No, it's not confined. It's not right. We, we, we create, right? We, we create walls, we create borders, we create names, labels. We appropriate, right? You know, we, and then we think, well, this is it. I know it to be true. How do you know it to be? Based on what? Based on what? based on my opinions, based on my feelings, based on what I read, based on what I understand. And the teachings again and again point that let go of everything that can be understood by thought. 
anything can be understood by thought, then you arrive at the source. Because anything that can be understood by thought becomes a barrier to seeing things as they are. And that's, that's giving up on the self. Queen Sano's Island, and he says, um, true self is no self. True self is no self. A realized person as no self. That right. gets involved in everything there. Right? Yeah, who wants to be nobody, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this mind isn't somewhere outside the material body of four elements. Without this mind, we can't move. The body has no awareness, like a plant or stone. The body has no nature. So how does it move? It's the mind that moves. Actually, Osense, you talk about Osense, he was asked by someone about the footwork. He said it's not the feet that move, it's the mind that moves. It's not how, I move, how you move your feet, it's how you move your mind that you have to study. Especially in Aikido. But isn't there a relation between the body and the mind and one without the other, you know, they, they, are, they have to be... One is the other. Right. I don't think the body moves and the mind, the mind moves the body. But without the body, the mind, you know, moving. Right? The, so the mind has to take care of the body, it has to feed it, right? I'm hungry, you have to feed it. Light and darkness are, are a pair, like the foot before and the foot behind you moving. Walking, right? So, you know, but he said, you know, we, we chant, do not see it as dark, right? Do not see it as light. Do not get confused that you see, because then, then you start to jump between, between the two. This is that. Am I, am I this or am I that? Am I here or am I there? Am I on this show or am I on the other show? That's what happens. Right? So, but that which is moving is moved by that which is Eternal. That's why, because we went hiking here in and I was reading the description of the trail. Mm -hmm. It was hard, yeah. climbing. Oh, I said, no, I'm going to go. One step at a time. Yeah. And you get rewarded when you get to the top. You want to sweat like a pig. But that's interesting, right? So you, you, you are at the foot, right, at the foot of, of a mountain, right? At the beginning of a trail. And it says, hold. What happens? You know, you look out to us. Like, <laughs> how do we react? I mean, if it says easy, right? How do we react to that? <laughs> well, if it doesn't say anything, right? It's actually a very interesting point, right? You know, what does it do to? It's the same body, the same energy, right? The same yeah, kind of energy. With our uh, ability, we're trying to anticipate mm -hmm. our action. We try always oh, going to be bad, or it's going to be good. That belongs to the story, right? That belongs to the story, that perpetuates the story. So at that point, of course, there is the reaction, but how can we at that moment let it subside and then focus on one foot in front of the other? That reminds me, sorry. That reminds me of the hike we went on in Vermont. Yeah. The girls were like, oh, that guy should not be going on this trail. And they were pointing to people. Yeah. Because there was a sign that said if you have like a heart condition or something, you shouldn't be on the trail because <laughs> it was hard. We actually, we actually saw somebody who had heart transplant. transplant. I think about six months before that, 
With his dog. Yeah, he was up there with his dog, and uh, he did all the way up, but he, he did a big chunk of this hike. It was a very long and steep hike, and uh, amazing. Then he said he still, you know, is fighting the, uh, the the drugs that he's, you Taking know, to yeah, not reject. Well, you, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, the drugs too, so the body is not reject them in the heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fine line when you shouldn't lose the sense of your body. Like, because mm. if you set up the goal, I have to be there well, and yeah. disregard. You let it go. Who, who, well, who, who yeah, makes yeah, that goal? Yeah. I have to reach like specifically this. But you have to be in tune with, yeah. with your body and you do not fall on the other side also. I think he was sensible about it, but still, it's a big, it's a huge... Um, but it's, well, he, said, he said, I didn't make it to the top, but, you know. But he was happy. Nice. He was happy that just to be on the on the on the trail, oh. yeah, which is big. But so, it's, it's a connection. It's fine connection. You have to have good feeling. Right, and then what you say is you have to develop that sensitivity to listen, to listen to your body, right, and to listen also without the story, right. right, to listen without the story. To not think that you know, to not go along with the disappointment of not necessarily, also to not feel so great about actually reaching the top. It's either, either one is that important, you know, it's important but relatively speaking. Or not reaching, but trying and doing what the best you can do. Right. Without. Right. So, how does it move? It's the mind that moves. It's the language and behavior, perception and conception. All functions of the moving mind. All motion is the mind's motion. Motion is its function. Mm -hmm. Apart from motion, there is no mind, and apart from the mind, there is no motion. But motion is a mind, and the mind is a motion. What do you make of that? Motion isn't the mind, and the mind isn't motion. Motion is basically mindless, and the mind is basically motionless. And then he goes on to say, but motion does not exist without the mind, and the mind does not exist without motion. You have to have a, before you do so, you have to have a thought. And then when you have a thought, you have action. What about action without a thought? What about, okay, let, let's go back to the mat, Aikido, right? Mm -hmm. The reaction on the mat, in a way, is thoughtless, because it, it happens so fast, mm -hmm. especially as you get better, right? Yeah. It happens so fast. Yeah. then the thought, there's no time for the thought, there's no time for, you know, looking at things and mm -hmm. start weighing the options, mm -hmm. right? You gotta move, you gotta move, you gotta move yeah. fast. So what's moving you is what's, what's coming at you, yes. right? The attack that is coming at you is what's moving you, yes. right? So life is moving you, reality is moving you. Yeah. And what you do at that point is let go of the self, ideally. Yeah. Let go of that and then blend immediately and become one with. Yes. But that's after years of repetitive, right. repetitive uh, uh, <clears throat> muscle memory. Yeah. And, okay. But then you think, do, you, do I, did I need the thought in the first place? Hmm? Did I need the thought in the first place? Because I know that when people get on the mat and they're beginners, they're, they're thinking too much. You know, about, oh, what's this technique called? And, and, and um, hmm. how do I step? And, you know, it's unavoidable. And then it's kind of yeah, but it becomes kind of like a barrier it to is. where you really need to be. Yeah, but you let it go. 
It, it, it is, it is, but it's not well, we have to learn to work with that in a way, you know, it is the same as, as our practice, as, as Zen practice too. Right? The thoughts come, <coughs> the frustration, the frustrating moments, months, years, maybe decades <laughs> sometimes, uh, a lot of frustration, that it comes, of course, and we work with it and we deal with it, but we learn to not take it so seriously. We learn to not take it seriously, we learn that there is something that we get in touch with little by little, but we learn to trust it, and it takes over. Mm -hmm. So we learn to let go of the thought, the thinking. We learn to not attach, as you said before, mm -hmm. to not attach to what arises. Mm -hmm. And then it actually vanishes quicker. And to not think, you know, to not add thoughts to thoughts. I'm not supposed to think, then I'll think mm -hmm. more. Yeah. But I'm not supposed to think, right? <laughs> no, there was a, there's a thinking mind and there is the so-called gut feeling mind. Mm -hmm. We have to develop, yeah. I think, the gut feeling mind because that one is the... There's no story behind it. The thinking mind is always... In, so you mm -hmm. have to learn how to use the thinking mind as, as a tool as a, to help you, mm -hmm. not to control you. So when he says that the mind is not motion, the motion is not mind, what is that? He's saying that the two are inseparable, two are one, but yet he says this is not that and that is not this. Don't put your mind on it. Don't put your mind on it. Okay, say more. <laughs> say more? Yeah, that's good. I want to see that. It's, uh, okay. Uh, say that again. What, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> we have the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's page 43. 43. Last paragraph. Last paragraph. There's no mind for motion to exist apart. No he says motion. that uh, but motion isn't the mind and the mind isn't motion. Yes. Well, say again what you said. Don't put your thought on. Is that what you said? Don't create something. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. If you think about it, it's like anything else. If you think about it, you stop something, right? But but it is happening. So just like we've been saying, you just let it happen. But once you start putting your thoughts in it, you know, you start stopping things, mm -hmm. right? So, you know. Uh, yeah, so the, remember that the, the, I think it was, uh, I forget the name of the teacher, uh, Regina, I think, that he was talking about uh, now the constant fundamental principle. What is the constant fundamental principle? And the answer was moving. And then well, how is it when moving? And the answer was you do not see the constant fundamental principle. Mm -hmm. yeah. You are. All there is is constant fundamental principle. In order to see the constant fundamental principle, you got to, in a way, step out of it. But that is already made up. It's made up. Yeah. You gotta step out of the flow in order to see the flow. Yeah. Right? And then you're no longer flowing. You're no longer actually obeying the flow. Yeah. You're creating an, an illusion of stepping out of the flow. Because nothing, nobody is out of the flow. It's not up to us, actually. It's not up to us to all. I'm done. I'm, done. I'm taking a break. <laughs> For me, permanent. 
It's the same, right? To step out of the flow is, is, is as funny as trying to get out of impermanence. It's For a little bit, right? It's artificial. It's not real. Right, exactly. And then so, which basically everything we try to do is not real. Yet, we try to do it. Right? We, we try, we get hurt, we mm -hmm. suffer, we try again. Doesn't he mean something different by mind than what we mean? Um, yes. Don't they mean all of consciousness? All he of means, the senses? Um, yeah. Not just thinking and mental formations? It's, it's, it's the answer, you know the answer, right? The circle, right? The, the, here, right? It's, nothing is outside of that. There is nothing outside of mind. <coughs> your mind is mind, it's not your mind. Right. It's just the way the mind, this mind functions. That's all. So it's not only thinking and dreams and mental functions. No, do you remember that analogy? I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh was talking about analogy of the music and the radio. Do you remember that? He was mm -hmm. talking about uh, that the music. He talked about. I think he was answering somebody's uh, question about the comments. And he said, you know, uh, when a radio is put together, brand new radio, we don't have those anymore. You understand? <laughs> you know, and you put, you, you put batteries or whatever, <coughs> and you turn it on, you hear the music, right? But the music did not stop when the radio was put together. The music was always in the airwaves, right? But you couldn't hear it before that. Mm -hmm. So then you hear it through that radio. But once this radio is no longer, right, broken, then, then the music doesn't stop. It's the same with the person. He, what he was trying to do is equate it to our lives. So when a person is born, you know, life shows up. Mm -hmm. But life did not begin when the person is bo was born. Mm -hmm. And life doesn't end when the person dies. Mm -hmm. Life is not, is no beginning and no end. Birth has opposite, life is no opposite. So we are a manifestation of that which is beyond. That's the big mind. That's the mind. Forget me. Mm -hmm. That's the mind. We are a manifestation of that. And it, and it goes on, mm -hmm. because it's indestructible by being formless. Only form is subject to destruction. So we are uh, like a radio which can tune to different stations. Mm -hmm. You want to hear or you don't want to hear? Vibrating is just a radio. No, no choice about <coughs> that. <laughs> the different state, there's only one, there's only one station. There's only one station, but that station appears in many ways. Isn't that like different stations? It depends on when you tune in. It's different manifestations. <laughs> different manifestations which nobody owns. Nobody owns, but we have a choice. We don't have a choice about that. We have a choice about manifesting. Of our realization of manifestation. That's it. Like the fox people. What? Like the fox people. Fox people? Fox. Fox. Fox News. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let it be for me. Okay. <laughs> um, so, should we move on? Okay. So, hence the sutras tell us to move without moving, to travel without traveling, to see without seeing, to laugh without laughing, to hear without hearing, to know without knowing.
to be happy without being happy, to walk without walking, to stand without standing. And the sutras say, go beyond language, go beyond thought. Basically, seeing, hearing, and knowing are completely empty. Your anger, joy, or your pain is like that of a puppet. You can search, but you won't find a thing. What does that mean? It's your... What does that mean? <clears throat> you can search. So, for example, you experience anger. Yeah. How do you take what we just what we just heard? How do you take that and apply it at the moment that you experience yeah. feelings of anger? Yeah. What do you do? Well, that that's the problem. That's the solution. That's the that's the big problem because okay, we 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 got involved in the anger. Not not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not when it arises. Not when it arises. Of course, you know, you're always going to experience mm -hmm. yes. emotions. Yes. The question is not about that choice. You know, mm -hmm. the question is what do you do with it? But that's what he's saying, to be, to be without being, right? To feel it without, how do you, what do you have to take out of it in order to just experience it? Frank. Yeah, yeah. You have to take Frank out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it warns you about something. I, I understand. I understand. Well, you can learn this. But you have to take you out of the feeling, and then the yeah. feeling is yeah. right. So then, how do you? And then you have a choice. You get more of a choice about how you express. What do you do with it at that moment, right? So, yeah, it's up to you how you, what you do with it, right? But they're saying be natural, let it all happen, and just be in the moment and to move without moving, right? right. Yeah. To be happy without being happy. Happy without being happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy without, without thinking about it. I'm happy. I'm, you know, going about life without being involved. Actually, being fully involved, fully engaged, but without without the conscious without effort. Yeah. You. Yeah. You're not there. Yeah. You're not there. You basically you lose yourself too, laughing, to crying. Yeah. Right? So now when it comes to feelings of anger, it's not that you lose yourself to that and you know become uh, at the mercy of the anger. It doesn't mean that. It means, okay, well, what do I, how do I walk with it, right? But I don't have to go and hit somebody. Yeah, but that, that's like saying then, then you got to, your subconscious, you have to eliminate, you know, not be involved in your subconscious, you know, it, not being in your superconscious, not being in your id, not being in your, uh, I mean, it's there though. It's like being Sometimes you need to address the situation, though. Yeah, of course, you have to address. But the question, the question here is, how do you lose yourself to moment by moment activity? To lose, and then what is it? Do we understand what it is that is being lost? Well, that's key. What is being lost at that moment? Go ahead. You want to say something? Well, the other day I had um, what felt like. Um, a successful experience with my anger um, that didn't cause more harm. And um, um, so we're married. Um, and uh, um, John was very, very, very late, according to when I said he would, thought he said he would be home. Um, so I started really worrying. Um, um, and when he walked in the door, my worry changed to anger, <laughs> as a will. It just 
welled up. Um, there was. Um, he was very calm. <laughs> he didn't think there was anything. Um, uh, so I told him, I said, I was really worried about you, and so now I'm really angry. Um, which he understood because he's experiencing, experienced it, but the anger didn't go away. It was in my body. Um, and it wanted to come out of my mouth, and I wanted to tell him how bad he was. Um, but I knew that in the long run, that wasn't going to help us. So um, I said, um, you'll have to forgive me. Um, I have to go be by myself for a minute to let this anger subside, because um, it's there, and it will subside. Um, that was amazing. But, and, that, um, right, and that's uh, beautiful, because you know, to, to, to understand, right, to study this all, to understand, that right now it is the is the is the thing I need to do, right? Exactly what I need to do. The most conducive thing I, I can do is to actually go to the room, close the door, and do something, mm -hmm. right? It didn't take long. To take responsibility for that at that moment, right? And to not perpetuate the story, right? And create something out of it. Okay, I'm gonna work with it. And I, I knew that resentment it. and blame yep. from having experienced it so much um, was going to cause more suffering for both of us than to take this route. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not always, I don't think it's always like that, but um, that would be a way to um, let anger come up and then make a choice. That goes to awareness, which is kind of the key yeah. of that. Um, the key of, um, of being able to be on on the true, your true nature is the awareness of all these things that may sway you away yeah. from you. And the more aware you are, the easiest is to just decide what you want to do. Uh, it's like it pops up in like a slow motion. It's like, okay, so you see it in slow motion, you can decide, I'm not going to take on that. I'm going to just do this. And, um, and I see, I see it's, it's great, you know, awareness, attention is the key uh, that is what at the end of the day, that's what we practice. That's uh, that's what all this seeing is about. You know, we <coughs> see it a lot to just practice that, practice how we are aware of thoughts and how we are working on that. And uh, I think, you know, it keeps to be the key on, on maintaining that balance and being aware of how long you should be in this um, in this hike without impairing yourself, how long, you know, how, how much you should turn off this news button today or not. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the practice for me on, I don't know how long ago, but, it, you know, at a certain time it was like so clear that that's the essential thing to do all the time. Because at the end of the day, that's what you use. That's what, that awareness is, comes from practice and it's the only thing that because I mean, you can read all this, and then at the end of the day, it doesn't help when you're angry. The only thing that helps when you're angry is that awareness. That, okay, I'm angry, and yeah. the is not conducive to anything, so I should just go up to some other place. Yeah, to develop your awareness, right? And to stay committed to a practice <coughs> at all times, right? And then to, again, to be a part of a group of practitioners who are devoted to the same thing. Right? And to help each other, to support each other, to help each other, to not get caught up in you know blaming or judging each other. So then we allow uh, for a more conducive environment 
for that practice. Yeah, it takes that, it takes this. It takes what we do. Alright, I want to move on to the wake up ceremony. So, what are the what pages does that mean? 47. 47, okay. So the essence of the way is detachment, and the goal of those who practice is freedom from appearances. The sutras say detachment is enlightenment because it negates appearances. Buddhahood means awareness. Mortals whose minds are aware reach the way of enlightenment and are therefore called Buddhas. The sutras say those who, are, who free themselves from all appearances are called Buddhas. The appearance of appearance as no appearance can't be can be seen visually, but can only be known by means of wisdom. Whoever hears and believes this teaching embarks on the great vehicle and leaves the three realms. So what does it mean to hear it and believe it? What does it mean to, and he says here, the appearance of, of appearance as no appearance cannot be, cannot be seen visually, but can be known only by means of wisdom. What is this? That means that when you're angry, you're angry. And so you it's only wisdom that tells you that that appearance is actually not appearance. You know, like that is just an expression, a manifestation, and, and it's not real. It's not Okay. So wisdom, wisdom, yeah, this is good to open it up. Wisdom is, in a way, is a flashlight <coughs> that is showing that there is nothing there. In that there is nothing there, things appear and disappear, arise and vanish constantly in that which is wide and open. So anger is not sitting on anything, right? That's why I said look at it and see, you know, where's the bottom of this? So when you feel anger, what is this sitting on? What is it relying on? Right? And then you, if you really investigate, you see that there's just nothing there. Who are you? Look at that. Right, and then you realize, I don't know. If you really look, you realize at some point, I don't know. And, and then, it's okay. I mean, I don't know and I need to know it's different, then I don't know and it's okay. You have to use good sense. Meaning? Good sense. Wisdom. Wisdom. You use good sense in your awareness what's going on. To connect with, right? <laughs> to 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 allow things to subside. I mean, you know, zazen is, is is incredible because you stop moving things, right? You stop moving the particles, and then things naturally subside. So all of the things that we create, that you create, naturally subside, and then wisdom appears. Not appears as much as is realized. Yeah. Right? It doesn't come out of something, it's just it's always there. It's just that because we get so caught up, we don't see it. And but, then when the body goes subside, there it is. But you, do, do you think all the uh, uh, masters before us, they got to a point where they didn't have to use good judgment. It was just, their mind was that clear without... Uh, <clears throat> looking at themselves. 
Well, you're constantly, 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 you're constantly saying next, and I think that, that's going to answer that. You're saying the three realms are greed, uh, anger, and delusion. To leave the three realms means to go from greed, anger, and delusion back to morality, meditation, and wisdom. Right? To morality, meditation, and wisdom. Greed, anger, and delusion have no nature of their own. So to act from wisdom is to, uh, to be moved by wisdom, right? And then in that, yes. It's not, there's no room, there's no gap for, for this kind of thoughts, for self-induced or self-promoting thoughts to appear. But it's practice, so, you know, we shouldn't, I don't think we should uh, hope for a time that we don't have to practice anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, 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 that's not a good way to look at it, you know, yes, but with time and practice, there's less, there's more clarity about that. There's more clarity about it. And you mentioned Aikido before. You know in Aikido, right? You know, the more proficient you get at it, the less you worry about it. Hmm. Right? I mean, you don't think about it. You just do it. And you trust. And it happens. And the movement just happens naturally. So it's kind of like that. Right? So you obey the principles of Aikido without worrying about remembering the principles of Aikido. So like that, right? So you obey mm -hmm. the principles of moving by wisdom without worrying about is this wise or is it foolish? I think you know, it's not like you never stop your practice because you know, you're not going to get angry once in your life. You're not going to feel greed once while you're living. You're not going to get you know, hurt or feel it, it, you know, it, it comes up, you, you work with it and it subsides and then you go through life and then somebody else does something stupid again or something that hurts you or something that pushes a button or something, whatever, and, and then you get hurt again. It's not necessarily the person that's hurting you, it's pretty much what, how you're reacting to the behavior of someone else or to how they show up in your life. And we can't control how other people are going to show up in our lives. So the only thing that we can work with is how we react to the anger, to the frustration, to the sadness, to whatever it is that, that we're experiencing. So our practice has to be a constant thing in order for us to continue to work with all those emotions on a regular basis. You know, it's, it's never, the only time that it's going to stop is when we, when we leave our physical form. It's never going to stop. So we're never going to stop practicing. Well, but this is, if, if you read further, right, he's going to talk about that, and we're going to get to this, but um, I want to just finish with it. The sutras say, Buddhas have only, have only become Buddhas while living with the three poisons and, and nourishing themselves on the, the pure bone, right? So this is what he's referring to in that too. You know, the, you're never going to not feel this way. You're never going to step out of it, right? But what does that mean here? Let's just spend a few minutes on that. Uh, the Buddhas have only become Buddhas while living with the three poisons and nourishing themselves on the pure Dharma, living within causation, functioning within the three poisons, yet not being harmed by the three poisons. It keeps them aware. Keeps them aware. Keeps, okay, to maintain awareness? Yeah. Is that what you saying? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> aware of arising anger, right? Uh, anger, delusions, right? Read anger, the three points, read anger and ignorance, mm -hmm. right? Which basically marks how, how we create mm -hmm. the ways uh, in mm -hmm. which we create a home. Yeah. 
to one another, to ourselves. Right? So they're so always looking at it also. They're always looking at it. It's not like it's gone, totally gone. That's it. You live in Nirvana now. <laughs> right, but then, but if this is gone, it's all gone, right? Because then what's, what, you see, the thing is, that which is not seen is, is, uh, is being manifested through that which is seen. Yeah. So, you can't say, I don't want this, I just want that. It's not that kind of practice, right? It's not pick and choose. Because if you eliminate this, you eliminate everything, which is unrealistic. And the reason why we want to eliminate things we don't feel good, because they don't feel good. That's all. But the fact that it's a feeling doesn't mean that it's not real. So with the right view, the problems <clears throat> are not problems. Yeah, the first of the Eightfold Path. Right, the right understanding. Right, that's exactly the right understanding, the right view. Without the right view, right. it all falls apart. Right view is wisdom. Right, I mean, to use the, the, the term he's using here, right view is wisdom. There was all this application of uh, precepts, for example, for situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, each situation is different, so there's no formula. Like in Aikido, there is no formula. You, you apply it to situation. Yes, and yet, and yet there is a structure. Yes, and right. there is a wisdom, there is awareness. So in Aikido, you always have to be connected with the center and maintain awareness, and then it comes from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, that's a good point, because again, in relation to Aikido, um, there is a structure, but the structure is leading us to no structure, to free fall, to free <coughs> flow, right? But there is a structure. Yeah. And then it's the same, like, so there are precepts, but the precepts, in a way, <coughs> release us from bondage of a structure. Without awareness, it just... It's, right, and without awareness, it, it stays that, and <coughs> uh, there's room for self-righteousness to arise. Right? All adherence to structure. Even Aikido, we can be very rigid about the structure, or we can allow the structure of the techniques of the practice to, to in a way, free us from the structure. Lifetime right. practice. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's, that's good, isn't it? I mean, this is good that we know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get back to the mat, I'm going to get back to the cushion, I need to deepen. It's actually a wonderful thing to, to realize. Over and over again, you have to realize, I need to practice. Mm -hmm. Right? Which gets us out of bed in the morning, right? <laughs> so we don't need this news button. Because that's what it takes, that kind of understanding. I better get my butt to, to the dojo, right? Or to wherever I sit and sit and look. Yeah, because it says beyond anger. Beyond greed, anger, delusion, there is no other Buddha nature. This show is the other show. That I think it says it further down. This is the other show, right? We want to we want to cross the river to the other show, but this is the other show. So he's not negating realization. He's just saying, here, this is realization. But, but without that, without the greed and anger and delusion, there's no Buddha no. nature. To be sought, right? Because you you have no you have no uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> you have nothing confronting you to say this is this this is that. This but it's not what we want to hear at the beginning of practice when we first get into practice. It's not what we want to hear. 
-hmm. It's the last thing you want to hear. Right? You know, we get to practice so I can free myself and then leave all that behind. Mm -hmm. Which is true in one sense, but the leaving behind is, is, is not the way we understand it. It's not that we delete. Mm -hmm. It's just we stop creating. Mm -hmm. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. It's not to, to, to get rid of anything. Mm -hmm. It's to see things as they are. It's to see anger for what it is. Mm -hmm. You want to ask me what's to that? You're quiet today, that's why. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, make me think a lot. The, uh, I think, everything that we discuss about the, uh, the discipline and practice, I think it's also the thin line between that and also desire. It's kind of difficult to, for us to really realize it because the, uh, you know, whatever you anger, but then then you typically have a purpose. Why why you anger? You wanna show something by anger. But typically if we want something we'll never get it. So sometimes the practice is difficult because you in the back of your mind you might you may start thinking, I want something. I want enlightenment, I want something. I think everyone shouldn't have it in every silly beginning. Then I think you fell in a trap that the, uh, if you do that way, you never get it. So the discipline is important and all, the, all those um, reasons are important, but also you have to be careful. I think that the, uh, you shouldn't want too much because we'll never get it. Yeah, so to the one thing, I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting point, right? So to, we want to realize is that desire to want to realize. And then, and, and, right, so because if we don't have that, you can say hunger or thirst to realize, right, then how else would we stay motivated to, to get up in the morning and to go practice? That's a great Scratch your head. Right, what would motivate us to practice if we are, if we think that we should not have any desire? How do you answer that? <laughs> so what motivates you to practice? What do you do with the desire to realize? So it's a, it's a starting point, but also it's, it's again like a cloud in the sky. So you realize it, but the, uh, it is what it is, and you know, um, we don't make too much out of it. It's a, it's a direction. and. Uh, but also it's related to the karma too, I think. The, uh, I used to think actually, you know, again, thinking too much about staying present, you know, past and future may not be the good thing sometimes I feel. It's because I, I think so much about staying in the present. But again, the, uh, well obviously, you know, good karma will good, make a good present, and a good present will give you a good future too. So, um, so what you're saying has to do with what Dogen said about, you know, one moment of sitting is one moment of realization, right? So, right, right to sit is to practice realization. Right. Right, so, so you can take that and make it not something that is focused on a future aim, right? Right. But right. you can take it and use it as something that gets you up in the morning right. so you can go sit, so you can practice realization right right rather than 
I gotta get there. I gotta get there. It's like okay, I, I need to practice. Right. Yeah. Right. And then and then it's no longer an idea. Further in the future, it is something that is tangible and can be practiced. Right. Right. Yeah. I you know even today I was sitting, it just today, and, and it, I I felt more that the uh, what a shortcut that sitting is to realize it, and uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, I don't I try to make not the wanting anything. And sitting is a really shortcut, and that it's so people clever that they they invented this way to really forget themselves. <laughs> this is really easiest way. I mean, there's no, there no other way. So, yeah. of course, if you cannot do this in sitting, then of course we cannot in real life either. So, really, this is the wonderful way to sit. Yeah. So, so the obviously we have to go back to sitting because that's 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 the easiest way and the best way. And if you don't do well, you never do well anyway. So. <laughs> True, right. So what we work with in, on the cushion is what we have to work with every life, right? And then on the cushion we have an opportunity to work with it, to focus on truly working with it and seeing clearly. Right. right? Seeing what's going on. Who is sitting? Who is looking at that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to end with that. Thank you want to add something? I'll say that, that's a, a good one, a shortcut. I'm going to think about my sitting now. <laughs> Uh, you know, this is like a, my shortcut to real estate. It is actually. It is considered the, the shortcut. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm moving forward. <laughs> it is. It is considered the shortcut because because when you look at you know the book we're looking at, studying, right, pointing directly to the mind, direct pointing is a shortcut, and then you know. Looking around, everything is pointing directly. Everything is pointing directly at you. So do we see? Right. Any other uh, words to conclude? Are we good? Uh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking about the rise and fall of emotions, and um, I like to think of it as this: you're this vastness that's the ocean. And these waves come up, whether or not they're tsunamis or little tiny ripples, you know, it's it's all uh, being aware of their rising and falling and, you know, um, not letting them take you, but just being embracing of it, you know, as the ocean is embracing of waves because it is the wave. It is the wave, but it's also the vastness. Yeah, any manifestation, anything that shows up is a teacher of the same thing. As long as we listen, as long as we look, as long as we don't get caught up, don't create, don't perpetuate, it can be awakening. It can be, it can do what it needs to do. Okay, to be continued. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.